Welcome to the Fallon Forum, folks. This is Ed Fallon, your host today. We're broadcasting live from Des Moines, Iowa, the cultural and culinary crossroads of America, at the studios of Lorraine at 1260 AM and 96.5 FM. On today's program, we're going to discuss the caravan of asylum seekers, which is not, as President Trump would like us to believe, an invading army. We'll also talk about a bizarre instance of library books being burned in a northwest Iowa town in response to a pride festival. We'll also take a look at the uh, uh, very sad but unfortunately very common anymore gun massacre, the most recent gun massacre in Pittsburgh at a synagogue. And also the um, attempted assassinations of a bunch of key Democratic political leaders. That's crazy. And also uh, we'll look at um, how President Trump is, in fact, escalating and attempting to reignite the nuclear arms race. With me in the studio today is uh, Ron Yarnell. And before we launch into our conversation about the asylum seekers, Ron, I believe you wanted to congratulate me on the Red Sox winning the World Series, correct? Did they win the World Series? Oh, you missed it? What was it, past your well, bedtime? What was that, a couple of years ago? Last night. Oh, last night. <laughs> in only five games, Ron. Well, actually, what I, the question I'm interested in is uh, I've heard that they're very much into uh, Bill James, the whole Moneyball thing. and uh, I don't even know what that is. Well, you know, <laughs> look it up. <laughs> uh, in my spare time, anyway. Uh, but the basic principle is that uh, uh, you win not through recruiting superstars. You win by figuring out who actually gets on base and therefore who actually can score in the course of time. Is that how that works? Yeah. Um, uh, so, um, wow. Uh, but here, here, here we are, Ron, you're now explaining how baseball works. That's good. Well, I've explained <laughs> it to uh, relatives from another country, and they're like very soccer Well, if you, if you can explain it to them, you can probably explain it to me. Yeah. All right. Hey, anyway, let's talk about something actually important. Uh, the uh, As it's called, the migrant caravan, and I, uh, I don't like that name. I mean, historically in America... We use the word migrant to describe people who are moving uh, to one place to work, and then they migrate to another place to work. Migrant laborers, that's the image that comes to mind. It, uh, it ignores the fact that these are not people coming to work. They're, they're fleeing political violence. They're fleeing uh, repression, uh, you know, rape, torture. They're fleeing terrible conditions in Central American countries. They're not migrating. They're seeking asylum. So I, I think it's important that we try to uh, redefine the definition of who this group of people are. But uh, it is fascinating to me that uh, President Trump is calling on, what, 5,000 military troops to greet... 5,000? I thought he was talking about 800. <clears throat> no, he's up to, he's up to 5,000 now. That, uh, in today, this, this morning's report, 5,000 U.S. military personnel will greet the, the, this, this sea of people fleeing oppression at the border. And do you think this has anything to do with getting out his base on November 6th? It has everything to do with that. Yeah. And, and, and couple that with the fact that he's trying to somehow bizarrely blame Democrats for, uh, for, for this, 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 this group coming our way. I, I mean, that's of all the bizarre accusations, and another one is, of course, that it's full of gang members and violent people and, and quote, Mid-Easterners, which, you know, Mid-Easterners is Donald Trump's way of saying terrorist. In his mind, those are synonymous. You do know that Mid-Easterners are people with a big connection to the Middle East were massacred on Saturday in a synagogue in Pittsburgh. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah, I mean, so, but, but uh, yeah, that, that fact may also be lost on President Trump. Yeah. So, uh, you know, to blame Democrats for this, yeah, I mean, let's really look at what, what the history here. The U.S. has long supported oppressive regimes in Central America for decades. Well, El Salvador, well, Guatemala. Uh, that, that's, you see, that's the problem in having a, 
a worthwhile conversation on a broad base because Americans are very ahistorical and they are largely unaware of the pattern of American intervention in Latin America over the last century, that uh, the United States has felt it's right and privilege to intervene in any country in the Western Hemisphere where we don't like how things are going. And, and often how things aren't going economically for our big businesses. Well, I mean, that was at the root of the uh, 1954 overthrow of the Arbenz government it, in Guatemala because United Fruit, United it, Fruit wasn't... It, it always has to do with our interests because nation states can only act in their own interests. Uh, and particularly it has to do with the 1980s, the uh, the, the Reagan uh, interventions and involvements in, in Latin America and particularly Central America, which uh, Central America has never really recovered from. I, 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 no. know, I know people... Um, uh, who go down to El Salvador on a periodic basis. And while in the United States people have forgotten the El Salvador Civil War, they sure haven't forgotten it in El Salvador. No. Uh, it still no. looms large in their mentality. Yeah, and so we have a, you know, a, a president who, who embarrassingly mischaracterizes what's going on. And then we have a democratic establishment and a corporate media establishment that, that don't want to really dig into the historical uh, foundation for this ongoing crisis. Well, you know what Henry Ford said, history is bunk. History is what? History is bunk. Bunk? That's, that's Henry Ford. Oh. <laughs> I don't agree with him. I'm, I'm on my academic background. I'm not history. quite sure what he means by that. <laughs> uh, he, he just, you know, he's just like, yeah, you don't have to know all that stuff. That just complicates your brain. Oh, well, yeah. Donald Trump must have learned that from Henry Ford then. Um, so, yeah, <laughs> I mean, uh, I mean, Donald, Donald Trump is a charlatan. Uh, he's a con man. Uh, the most successful con man in the history of the world, I think. He managed to gain the presidency of the United States. But that's where he's at base. And he has an understanding of human nature, which is dark, but it's profound. And he knows how to play it. He knows how to stir up people's fears. Yeah. Uh, he knows how to use it for his own advantage. That, that has been his pattern his whole life. And he's doing it, uh, I mean, he's, he, he's, he does it a lot, but he's doing it in spades. On this uh, wave of, of, of asylum seekers trying to make their way to the U.S. Be because because uh, he's playing on um, fears, uh, particularly fears among white Americans, uh, that there is this brown <coughs> army coming at us. Uh, also fears, and I think when, when, when Americans react negatively towards immigration or immigrants or refugees or whatever, uh, it's, it's, it's because Americans are aware that when these people come to the United States, uh, you know what? They work very hard for the most part. Very, very hard. And, and they work not only – if, if they can't succeed, they try to make sure their children succeed. And they make sacrifices that to your ordinary American are at this point – you know, talk about historical, you know – you know, uh, we don't consider making uh, – well, I can't speak for everyone. I would make sacrifices for my child uh, to make sure she succeeds. But extraordinary sacrifices. I mean, really going without. Mm -hmm. And but that's, uh, that's been true of every, every wave of immigrants right, in American right. history. And, and that continues, and that's intimidating uh, to a lot of uh, Americans born in this country. So – the narrative gets changed around that these people are dangerous, that these people are villainous, uh, that these people are an invading army, that these people are, are trying to usurp our culture. 
which again engenders an argument exactly what is American culture, and which is an <laughs> argument obviously no one ever gets into because, uh, again, it gets complicated. Uh, is there actually an American culture? Uh, because certainly Latin I, I, I think you could argue there is, and it's a synthesis of so many other cultures. Right. And certainly Latin culture is as much a part of the United States as sure. any other culture. Sure. Uh, the Latin presence being uh, in the United States before the United States even existed as a whole country. Now, you know, I wrote a blog last week where I said uh, the title of the blog regarding the uh, caravan of asylum seekers was Let Them In. And I got some pushback for, for that, as I expected. You did? Um, yeah, can you imagine? But, um, but uh, you know, and, and I guess I may, maybe I should have clarified, you know, Let Them In doesn't mean just knock, just, oh, just come on in, do whatever you want, just go wherever you want. Uh, there is a process, and that process is not bad. The problem is it's a... Uh, it's intentionally very, very slow and tedious, and it doesn't. It doesn't. And it's but, been increasingly slowed down by the Trump administration. I'm not aware of that, but I, I wouldn't be surprised. But you know, the um, part, part, part of the uh, part of the reality here is these quote migrants who are quote invading our country when they apply for asylum at the border, and you know, you're allowed to come in. You aren't stopped at the border and sent back. You're allowed to come in and say, "I'm here to seek asylum." And the last, one of the last numbers I checked for one of the you know previous uh, groups of uh, of, uh, of caravans, ninety three percent were granted that right to seek asylum. So no. this is you know this is a, a group that is legitimately fleeing you know dangerous oppressive conditions, and their their application to be heard as such is is being accepted. Well, we'll see what happens when they actually get to the border, which will actually, I, I think the timing is that it will work out about Christmas time. Interesting thing, uh, after uh, Halloween, when we get to the Thanksgiving Christmas cycle, interesting how our holidays are based on refugees seeking asylum. Uh, Thanksgiving and, and, and Christmas. Well, Thanksgiving, you could argue, I, I wouldn't say that's, a, that's refugees seeking asylum. I think it's... Uh, that, that that truly was an invading army that didn't no, have much not respect. The you have to look at the history. They they were people seeking sure, refuge. but they they didn't come here uh, with any kind of respect or yeah, willing. They did. Well, they treated the native population very well. They treated the native population extremely well. Now, other people well, came afterwards. Yeah. That was a different thing. When they found out it wasn't about forming a spiritual commonwealth, it was about making money, that changed the equation there. Yeah, fair enough. But, uh, uh, but, yeah. but yeah. you know. But, yeah, uh, Christmas certainly about a, about a family yeah. that, uh, that fled oppression. Their child was at risk. Yeah, and, 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 they, and they were refugees who fled to Egypt. Yeah. The story. And I've actually been to... The uh, the church in Egypt in Cairo, where the Holy Family was allegedly, you know. Uh, so my point say, being, we have this culture of accepting, <coughs> uh, of honoring refugees and people fleeing oppression, and those kinds of things. And it's interesting how that's like being sidelined, and 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 now refugees are, are sources of fear and trepidation. Yeah, well, it's uh, you know, it helps to point the end, the finger at, at a. And a, 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 a fictional enemy in order to take the you know pressure off the the true culprits behind the disintegration of of, uh, of economic well-being for most Americans and and that's uh, and you know nobody's been more effective at that than Donald Trump <laughs> he understands the dark side yeah hey we're going to take a short break here folks and when we come back we're going to talk about uh, well let's talk about fires in Northwest Iowa this uh, this uh, fire was uh, limited and targeted to a few books about GLBT equality that one guy didn't like 
We'll talk about that when we come back from a short break on the Fallon Forum. Gateway Market and Cafe is your locally owned source for specialty groceries. Enjoy chef-crafted prepared foods, artisan baked goods, organic produce, specialty cheeses, and hand-selected wines and craft beer. Visit the Lively Cafe for breakfast, lunch, and dinner seven days a week. Gateway Market is centrally located on the corner of Martin Luther King Jr. Parkway and Woodland Avenue. Stop by or visit www.gatewaymarket.com for more details. Gateway Market. Good food, great community. Times are tough. And most people are just trying to make their cars last a little bit longer. That's why you should know about Sargent's Garage in Des Moines. You can trust Sargent's to make the right diagnosis and give you a fair price. Whether it's a routine oil change or a major repair, Sargent's always does outstanding work. So don't give up on that old car just yet. Call Sargent's Garage at 246-8149. That's 246-8149. Community CPA and Associates, with locations in Des Moines and Coralville, is the perfect place to go for all of your tax and accounting needs. Community CPA offers a wide array of services, from tax planning to business IT solutions. Call Community CPA today at 515-288-3188 or visit www.communitycpa.com for more information. Hi folks, it's Ed Fallon reminding you that you can eat Iowa-grown food all winter long at Hawk Restaurant in Des Moines East Village. Over 90% of the food served at Hawk comes from Iowa farms and their dishes are amazing. I once brought a guy there from New York and he was blown away by the experience. He said it was like any fine dining you'd enjoy in Greenwich Village, but at one-fourth the price. So don't go all the way to, to New York City when you can enjoy gourmet dining prepared with Iowa-grown food at Hawk Restaurant in Des Moines East Village. Ritual Cafe is located at 13th and Locust in beautiful downtown Des Moines. It's a great place for coffee, tea, smoothies, and a full vegetarian menu. Ritual Cafe also features music on the weekends. For more information, call Ritual Cafe at 515-288-4872. That's 515-288-4872. When it's time to entertain, think of Gateway Market to handle all the details. Gateway offers a wide variety of stress-free options like our cut-to-order cheese and charcuterie and delicious olive bar and a wide variety of chef-prepared dips and spreads. Or let our catering team take care of the entire event, right down to the wine and beer pairings. Our expert floral designers can even customize perfect centerpieces. Stop by or visit gatewaymarket.com for more information. Gateway Market. Good food, great entertaining. Welcome back to the Fallon Forum. Ed with you here. And we uh, looking ahead to the rest of the program. We're going to be talking about the, uh, the uh, yet again, another gun massacre, this one in Pittsburgh at a synagogue. We'll also talk about the uh, assassination attempts on a bunch of key Democratic leaders that were thwarted. That could have been a lot worse. Uh, we'll also talk about how President Trump is again reigniting the nuclear arms race. Oh, my gosh. So much to uh, be concerned about these days. Um, this is perhaps a small issue, but one that I think will interest uh, you. It certainly interests me and my co-host here, Ron Yarnell. Um, we're big fans of books, Ron. Ron, are we not? Reading, books reading books are part. okay. Books are okay. Well, there's a guy up in northwest Iowa who thinks that only some books are okay. His name's... Uh, 
His name is Paul Doerr, and he runs a group called um, uh, called Rescue the Perishing, which I I think it's a very entertaining title. It could be lots of things. It could be an animal rights uh, group. Um, could be an anti-drowning, uh, a, a water safety group. Anyway, it's a religious group that has a website that is called the Crisis Center and Pro-Life, Pro-Family Movement. Um, so Doerr apparently went to the library just before the uh, Orange City uh, Pride Fest. Now, Orange City is a small town in the most conservative county in Iowa, Sioux County. Orange City is... Um, yeah, they're really conservative. In fact, on Sundays, I mean, this may still be the case, but not too many years ago, on Sundays, not only were all businesses closed, but you weren't allowed to mow your lawn or do anything anything work-related That's a beautiful Sunday. law. It's Well, you know, I think it's a nice practice. I don't think it should be a law, but I think it's a great practice, and I try to subscribe to something similar. I think it's a off. law that should be enforced by Harry Potter the Mentors. <laughs> Okay, Ron. <laughs> I know where, where, where I come from, to, to mow your lawn afternoon on Sunday is just a cardinal sin. Okay, you, you, well, it's only, yeah, cardinal sin, not just a venial, a venial you, sin. You're just messing with people's Sunday space when you do that. All right, well, I, I, you know, I, I'm, as long as lawnmowers are quiet, I don't mind them. <laughs> but, but so um, this guy, I borrowed these books from the library uh, with the intent, apparently, to burn them, which he did. He burned them. He spent about... Um, he uh, did a live Facebook video, uh, and he uh, this is just before the Pride Fest was to kick off. He burned these four books. Um, they all had LGBTQ themes, and uh, so now and now they're trying to decide what to do about it. Um, I mean, I I admire the guys forthright. I mean, he's not he's not shy. He's not afraid to tell you how he feels. He doesn't hide the fact that he's burning these books. He does it right there in the open. And I don't know if I admire that or just think that's a little demented. But at any rate, um, we'll see where that goes. But I, I thought, I don't know, I think that's pretty, pretty uh, whatever, whatever the um, Whatever the belief is, whatever the ideology is, I think when you burn books, you send a visceral negative signal that even people who might be sympathetic to your viewpoint back away from. Now, yeah. I'm aware that in his uh, venue, uh, Sioux, Sioux County, that uh, people might be thrilled. I mean, I know who their congressman is, and they seem to be thrilled about him. So um, I don't know. But basically, I think for most Americans, whatever the cause, burning books just kind of is a negative uh, signal. Um, but then again, we're, we're, so many of the rules of what's positive and what's negative in, in mainstream discourse are being overturned mm. in this age of Trump. I mean, I don't know. I, I might be wrong on that. Maybe, maybe it hits just the right button with people these days. Now, again, this, this guy may be thinking that he's, uh, his action is going to resonate with local people in Orange City. Now, uh, again, Orange City, not too, not too um, when was this, last year, I believe. No, earlier this year. Uh, uh, a, a petition was circulated that uh, called on the library to separate any books that had to do with LGBTQ content, that those books be separated from the rest of the library's books So and labeled as such. So maybe this guy just wants to be a, a big hero in his eyes, at least in, in a small space. I Take mean. it to the next step, yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, the library actually uh, 
did re- it basically capitulated to the 340 people who signed that petition, reorganizing its books by subject rather than alphabetical. And, and I understand the library doing that. It's a public institution. It's dependent on the tax base. And when the taxpayers aren't happy, uh, it's going to respond uh, to a certain extent. Um, I, I, I just seem to – well, I don't know. I, I mean, I, I'd like to say that uh, whatever the issue may be, how right or wrong, uh, that Americans are going to reject – Book burning just because it's just too fascist. Yeah. But, uh, you know, we live in strange times. Now, the head of the Iowa Library Association, uh, Dan uh, Chibnall, he, uh, I thought he made a good point. He said, burning public property on video is a poor example for children, <laughs> especially when you're bur- well, burning and, children's and, books, and, you know? And, and is the library pursuing criminal charges? Well, that's a good question. I don't see that referenced anywhere. Um you know that's uh, that's a good question. Um, you would think that uh, that that something along those lines should happen, or at least some some way to demand accountability uh, and and retribution. I mean, I, I mean, there's not a lot of damage involved. I, I think the it's library. More, I think the library is more concerned about receiving retribution if they take any action. <laughs> well, maybe, yeah. I mean, uh, yeah. We're talking about four books that were burned. That can't be a big price tag. It's going to be less than 100 bucks. But the, the bigger harm is the message it sends to, to LGBTQ folks in Orange City and in other parts of the uh, bigger, rural the America. The bigger harm that's served is that if I don't like something, I have the right to storm into a library and burn it. Yeah, well. Uh, or, it, 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 it goes beyond uh, gay and lesbian issues. It, it's, a, sure. it's a free expression, free speech sure. issue. Do you remember it wasn't that many years ago that there were groups that felt that Anne Frank, the diary of Anne Frank should be banned? I never understood well, that one. I was in, actually, I was in a conversation with someone who's very dear to you about uh, books uh, the weekend, and I happened to mention that my three most influential books in high school that I read as part of the high school curriculum, Les Miserables, uh, Adventures of Huckleberry Finn, and uh, To Kill a Mockingbird, they're all on someone's band list. You know? so, why, you know, why, why, why Huck Finn? I mean, I, it's, Huck, great, Huck, it's, a, it's a quintessential American novel. Huck Finn was the, was the book that taught me how to roll, roll paper cigarettes. See? Served you well. <laughs> well, it did, actually, because I, I didn't know what to use, so I used oak leaves. Okay. And I took one puff on that. I nearly <sighs> died, and I never, never smoked again. Okay. But, uh, <laughs> now, 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 were they tobacco cigarettes? No. They, they, I, I tell you, what I had around was oak leaves. What are, they, that looks like, looks like tobacco to me. I'll just use so, oak so leaves. So Huckleberry Finn actually saved you from a life of emphysema and possible Yes, exactly. Cancer. Yeah, exactly. And so now, I, yeah. Yeah, I banned that book, right? Yeah. I don't, I don't get, you know, you know, even books that I don't like or... Even that I might – like, for example, uh, the autobiography – or if there ever is such a thing, the autobiography, probably the biography of Donald Trump, you know, I would never read that book. But I wouldn't want to burn it. Maybe I'd be tempted, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't do it. I, 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 I wouldn't I, want I to think, ban it. I would want people to have access to it. I, I, well, in the case of Donald Trump, it would be burning art of the deal, uh, which actually <laughs> tells you as much about Donald Trump as you need to know not to like Donald yeah. Trump. Right, right, right. So that's a, an important historical record. People will look at that book and say, they read this and they didn't realize the implications? Yeah. So um, to you know, just to, to kind of set us up for the next segment uh, conversation here, we're going to be talking about the, uh, the massacre in the, uh, in the synagogue. And I think it's, uh, I haven't done this yet in this program, so it's probably appropriate to um, point out that you are indeed a man of the cloth yourself. You are a minister at, what, two churches, I believe? Three now. Three now. You couldn't settle for just two. 
I am a, a Lutheran pastor, if you're going to identify me as such, but I'm currently serving three United Methodist congregations. That, you know, that type of ecumenism is, 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 is very uplifting. It's okay. It's okay, yeah. <laughs> Actually, yeah. it's exciting. I like ecumenical yeah. Christian ministry yeah. um, because uh, of my own personal theology and my theological questions. Yeah, and of course, ecumenism these days goes beyond you know, migrating between different Christian denominations. Uh, there's a, well, lot of, uh, a, lot of, a lot of dialogue between people that, of different faiths. That would, that would be described as interfaith dialogue. Okay, Thank you. <laughs> because ecumenism is, is, uh, comes from a Greek word, which means household. So ah. the understanding is we're, all Christians are in a common household, even though often we spend our time in different rooms, right? Okay, gotcha. Yeah. Okay. Uh, but, you know, um, certainly ecumenical discussion will lead to interfaith discussion as part of the whole equation. All right. Well, hey, we're going to take a short break here, folks. And, again, we'll talk about the, the, uh, the horrible gun massacre in uh, – Pittsburgh in the uh, Squirrel Hill neighborhood, which I got to know four years ago when I spent uh, a day and a half or so there on the Great March for Climate Action. Um, so I, I kind of know that area, know some of the people, and and I was glad to see that, as, as far as I know, the folks that I know there are, are safe. But, um, gosh, terrible thing. And we'll also talk about the attempted, yeah, really, they were, they are attempted assassinations of some key uh, Democratic uh, officials and leaders. We'll talk about that when we come back from a short break on the Fallon Forum. Inform Ed Fallon, your host here, as we continue our conversation with uh, Ron Yarnell about uh, issues both domestic and international. And uh, next on our line of conversation topics is the um, well, two, two things. We'll talk about them in the same segment here, Ron. The uh, gun massacre at the uh, synagogue in Pittsburgh, and uh, I want to leave time to talk about the assassination attempts of uh, the pipe bombs that were sent by. The rabid Trump supporter to various uh, Democratic leaders, but uh, let's start by looking at what happened in Pittsburgh. Well, um, you know, when when these incidents occurred, of course they were shocking. But uh, on one hand, I've, after a while, I began to reflect. We've gotten used to so much of violence in our society just because it happens mm-hmm. uh, that we become desensitized. We're becoming desensitized, and, and then you know these incidents happen, which have a certain. Um, <clears throat> newsable narrative behind them, something a little different. I mean, at this point, even school shootings are becoming passe. Uh, so we have something that, uh, you know, a mad bomber, you know, yeah. uh, and and uh, an attack, another attack. It isn't the first attack on the House of Worship. Uh, in no, we've had, we've had churches shot up. We've yeah. had, um, yeah. we've had uh, Amish school. Do you remember that one? Right, yeah. Uh, and, movie theaters, malls, and, uh, then, uh, military bases. I'm sh- um, what's the other, <laughs> what's the other one? Where the, the other there was the bomber. There was the uh, um, um, Pittsburgh incident, and oh yeah, then there was the incident in Louisville where a uh, a fellow uh, he wanted to shoot up a black church uh, for whatever reason oh, right, right. he he couldn't gain entrance, so he went into a supermarket and he uh, shot uh, the first couple of black people that he was able to track down, shot you know, killed them. Um, all these are part and parcel of apparently the same fabric, uh, zeitgeist, uh, yeah. motivation. 
um, the sickness. Pit, yeah, the sickness. Yeah. Now, the Pittsburgh is connected. The Pittsburgh incident um, at uh, Tree of Life uh, Synagogue is connected to the uh, the uh, caravan, quote unquote, moving up through Mexico. In the sense that one of the problems that the shooter had was that synagogue uh, was supportive of, I believe, it's the Hebrew Immigration Aid Society, HI. AS, uh, which is their refugee agency, which he believed was giving aid to the caravan. And so that was part of his... I missed that part, really. But but that was part of, uh, apparently part of his motivation that he he said. So so it wasn't just like, I hate Jews and I'm going to shoot up a synagogue. It also had to do with the caravan, which connects it to... Our president's demonization, vilification of that caravan, making them a legitimate target, and then transferring the targets to—I guess complicated, doesn't it—to to these uh, uh, to these folks in Pittsburgh, these Jewish folks, and their house of prayer. Yeah. Well, I mean, anti-Semitism has long been a threat in in, in American and previously in European society. Uh, that's that's no his no 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 mystery, and it still exists. Violent anti-Semitism is, has happened in America, but it's actually been far less than, well, in Europe. Uh, in many ways, the United States has been the most welcome countries uh, for Jewish folks. Yeah. Um, and uh, that's probably why it's so shocking. I, I think it always shocks people. It shocked people in uh, in uh, Charleston with uh, Mother Emanuel Church. It shocked people, uh, as you mentioned, the Amish schoolhouse massacre. It shocked people when this Baptist church in Texas was shot up by some fellow who had a grudge against the family. It always shocks people when people someone comes along and shoots up a house of worship uh, because, you know, th- there's a sacred space that we assign to those places. Um, and, and here and here we go. Here, here it's been now. The president has been um, uh, denouncing anti-Semitism, but he's been claiming he's been he's been uh, not assigning himself any uh, blame for ratcheting up uh, the kind of hatred and the kind of animus that can can inspire that kind of thing. Putting yeah. putting the shooters in motion, so to speak. Yeah, and. Uh you know, part of the I mean, part of the reality we have to wrestle with here is that we have become a society that, uh, where this is no longer unusual, where uh, it, I mean, it's it's not acceptable, but it, but it is so common, and yet we don't seem to have any capacity to to move beyond it. And uh, you know, I, I know I know that uh, one side likes to say, well, it's all about mental health. Another side likes to say, well, it's all about all about uh, all about guns. And um, I'd say it's about both and more. And how, how do, you know, there's, there's a deep malaise in this country. And, I, you know, we, we, we don't see anything like it anywhere else in the world. N- no, and so we have to start asking why. You know, no, why? Nothing shows the uh, decline of democracy and the depolarization of American people more than the debate over guns. Because it never goes anywhere. There's hand wringing. There are thoughts and prayers. Uh, yeah. And I'm, you know, I'm all about thoughts and prayers. Sure, that's you're like, a minister. You have to be. Uh, I, that's how I make my living. <laughs> so I'm big on thoughts and prayers. But thoughts and prayers need to lead to action. Right. And the action never happens. Yeah. And um, uh, I had thought after the shooting in Parkland that uh, 
enough momentum was being generated to compel Congress to take some action over the uh, over the, the the resistance of the NRA. And what kind of pushback did the Parkland kids get? Oh, they, I mean, ridiculous they, amounts of pushback and absurd. Uh, I mean, the dismissal of uh, by President Trump of Emma Gonzalez was just comical. But uh, yeah. you know, there again, his 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 devotees will eat that stuff up. And, and because these were just a lot of spoiled kids, whether they know what they're talking about, yeah. well, they, well, they just got shot up in their school. Or in her case, you know, she's just a, a radical lesbian. You know, Cuban immigrant who just should go back to her own country. And, and people like don't realize how this is affected in our society. So in our community here in uh, Des Moines, you know, and, and the, uh, the suburbs like Johnson and, and Waukee and others, our schools are on lockdown permanently because people are afraid that uh, not not an, a migrant from, from Central America, but some guy down the street who snaps is going to walk in and shoot the place up. So the schools are on permanent lockdown. You can't get in without going through a complicated yeah. security process. And that's yeah. how we've chosen to live. Yeah, it's really, it's, it's really scary, though. That's become acceptable and yeah. the norm. Yeah, uh, I mean, there's so many, so many indicators as to the fact that we have this deep, deep problem, yeah. and that we're not, we don't seem to be capable or willing to address. When it. I was, uh, when I was, and this might lead into our next conversation. But when I was a kid, and, and when you were a kid, I remember the uh, nuclear air raid drills we had in school. The you know the duck and cover, the yeah. under the desk, go in the hallway, uh, and now it's astounding that, uh, and my daughter had this recently in her school that we have act, they have active shooter drills in yeah. school. What's to do when a when, when right. hostile person invades and shoots up the place. Yeah. Hey, but before we talk about the rekindling of the, of the nuclear arms race, I, I do want to talk a little bit about the, um, the attempt, uh, the, the sending of pipe bombs to what, Eric Holder, uh, Joe Biden, uh, the Obamas, uh, you know, Clintons, all these key, I, I think, didn't George Soros get one too? Uh, yeah, the, he, he's the... Um, uh, he, he's the honorary Jew that uh, right-wingers are allowed to hate. <laughs> yeah, so Cesar um, Sayoc, who, um, as far as we can tell, is part Italian, part Filipino, um, but a rabid Trump supporter and a longtime, a, a longtime user of social media to threaten uh, people he doesn't like, uh, sending a, I think this was a tweet, actually, to Joe Biden, uh, saying, hug your loved son, niece, wife, family, real close every time you walk out of your home. I mean, gosh, that's pretty disturbing. Um, and he said another, he sent one to, uh, to Holder ones, Eric Holder, saying, see you soon, TikTok 4, you know. So he sent these, these pipe bombs, and what I haven't been able to ascertain yet is why none of them went off. Are we, well, are, first are, of all, he could have been incredibly incompetent. Which is a good thing. Yeah, we want that kind of incompetence in these uh, people. Second, it may have been. It may have been. He just wanted to send a signal, as to say, I can get at you. Yeah. Okay. Uh, an intimidation <clears throat> factor. Now, I don't think it will matter that great a deal when it comes to trial because uh, he's still looking <laughs> at what effect, effect. If he gets convicted on all charges that are against him, he's looking effectively at the, life, the rest of his life in prison. Right. Uh, so uh, I, I don't think it's, that's going to be much of a benefit to him um I, i'm astounded did you see pictures of his van uh cover with uh with red yeah. stickers. and, and yeah. like the most fascinating thing he had um sniper scope silhouettes on 
on uh, Michael Moore and Hillary Clinton, pictures like that. It's like it's almost like you could see from orbit if you had a satellite. Right. This guy is a problem here. Yeah. You know? Well, that and his tweets and everything else. I mean, I, so I don't know. You know, you have to wonder. I guess there's probably so many wack, wackos out there. It's hard to track them all. But this guy was. Uh, I mean, he wasn't subtle. He wasn't. I mean, like the the guy who committed the um, the assassination at the concert in Las mm-hmm. Vegas. Mm-hmm. He was quote he surprised people his profile and his public you know statements and yeah. uh, there, there wasn't a lot of evidence that he was going to do something like that. I, I'm more concerned about uh, well I'm concerned about nutballs like this running around uh, obvious nutballs uh, but I'm also more concerned about the reaction that they get from uh, people who are. Um, basically on his side of the political fence uh, because a lot of things I've been hearing is that the, the, their biggest regret is that the bombs did fail, that they, they weren't successful. Have you heard somebody say that? Oh, yeah. That's out there. Really? Yeah. Well, that's that, that's, uh, um, that's shameful. You know, social media kind of brings up all that visceral, ugly stuff in human beings. Right. And, yeah. and, and post it for all to see, which is, you know, people used to uh, hide those kinds of things and social media has brought us into a culture where people display that kind of animus. So uh, that's been kind of a, a concern I, I, I've had. And also how uh, the, uh, the, the Trump folks, the, the Trump administration, um, I, I, they're just kind of looking how they can distance themselves. So what did Jeff Sessions said that he looked at the van and it appeared to him that the person is a partisan. It kind of looked like that from what he could see. It's like... He needs, yeah. he needs a new prescription on those, gla- those well, glasses. Well, I, I don't know why, why good old Jeff is still part of that administration anyway, considering how little... just a matter of time. Considering <laughs> how little respect he gets. Right. But yeah. um, anyway, it, it just was a, a phenomenal thing uh, that occurred and uh, it's... I, I'm glad to feel... I, I'm, I'm very impressed by the people... In law enforcement, all the way from the FBI, all the way to the post office, whose job it is to make sure that that stuff doesn't succeed. Right. So, I want to take a second to uh, thank some of our other business partners in Des Moines here, and also some of our affiliates. Uh, thanks to uh, Catering by Sid. Owner Sid Cohn uses lots of fresh and local ingredients in season, and every one of her catering arrangements is custom made. That's Catering by Sid. C Y D. Catering by Sid. Uh, thanks also to Story County Veterinary Clinic, where Dr. Kim Holding has been treating creatures large and small for over 30 years. Give, give Kim a shout. Uh, uh, she's got a Facebook page, and uh, you can find her number in the phone book, of course, uh, Story County Veterinary Clinic. Thanks also to Gateway Marketing Cafe. Gateway is located at 20th and Woodland. That's my grocery store and a great place for breakfast, lunch, and supper, and they've got a catering service as well. And thanks to our affiliates, a couple here in Iowa, KHOI 89.1 FM in Ames, a great local programming, a solid uh, community-owned station that uh, rebroadcasts this program and lots of other really high-quality uh, commentary and music. Thanks also to KICI out of Iowa City, uh, again, a fairly new station that's doing a great job at trying to connect the local community with uh, critical issues and also with uh, important cultural stuff going on. And thanks to two of our stations uh, broadcasting outside of Iowa, uh, KPIP in Fayette, Missouri, and WHIV in New Orleans, Louisiana. Okay, so uh, back to our conversation. Uh, you know, we've all kind of put nuclear weapons out of our mind. Uh, 
you know, in more recent years, we had the nuclear test ban go into effect in the mid-90s. We had the collapse of the Soviet empire. Uh, lots of other things have happened to make us feel more secure, although we still have thousands of weapons on high alert at all time, and maybe that security is uh, is unwarranted. Well, now um, our uh, reasons for being concerned are again, emerging and being highlighted by some of the uh, activities that President Trump is, is, uh, is doing. And again, Ron Yarnell in the studio with me as we take a look at that and, and have to scratch our heads a bit and say, yeah, maybe we should be concerned. I, I think there's a great deal of reason to be concerned. In fact, this might be uh, emerge as uh, the calamity. Um, I'm reading right now um, Barbara Tuckman's classic book, uh, The Guns of August, which talks about how World War I came about. And I see a lot of parallels between uh, the catastrophe of World War I uh, and what's going on now. I mean, World War I was basically a, an archduke being assassinated. Well, it was, yeah. uh, it was about people who saw themselves as above the rest, uh, kind of a, a, a Nietzschean mentality, uh, taking over so many countries and just saying, we know what we're doing, trust us. And emerging technologies that no one really understood in their military application, uh, nationalism emerging in, in many different respects, and uh, just all led up to the catastrophe of the 20th century because World War I uh, arguably didn't end until – Maybe the Yugoslavia civil war in the 1990s and even the Middle East situation we face today is, is an outcome of World War I. Uh, and, and, so what, why, what, what do you think? What is Trump doing specifically that should be of concern to people? Well, well because, because he's, he's beating – he came out last week. Right? I am a nationalist. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and he, um, he – uh, I, I rarely give credit to President Reagan. I do on occasion. But uh, one thing that President Reagan understood, nuclear weapons are bad. Okay, and as part of his legacy, he made jokes about them. I mean, he, he, he made jokes. He said we start bombing Russia in five minutes. Right. Ha, ha, ha. Well, you know, everyone makes nuclear jokes, don't you? Um, not if I'm the president. I have my finger on a oh. button and I'm in front of a microphone. But, no, but, but, but <laughs> in the long term, uh, he wants his legacy to lead to the uh, abolition of nuclear weapons. And one of the outcomes of that, one of the results of that was uh, a a treaty that was negotiated with the Soviet Union that he negotiated with Gorbachev, 1987, the Intermediate Nuclear Forces (coughs) Treaty, uh, which uh, governed and restricted uh, intermediate-range missiles in Europe. Uh, Now, the Europeans were very much in favor of this because an intermediate nuclear war would be fought on their turf. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was an accomplishment. And uh, it's been governing that status quo ever since. Uh, Trump decided to unilaterally pull out of that treaty, accusing the Russians of violation, which may be true. But my question is, so if the other side violates the treaty, do you just scrap the whole thing? Mm. Okay. And I, 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 he did not <clears throat> consult, from what I understand, with any of the European countries who are profoundly affected by this change of status quo. Trump doesn't believe in consulting with anyone. And, it's, and so uh, it, it's, it's tossed a tremor into the world. Um, I've read some stuff that uh, the, one of the concerns of some people in the administration, well, it doesn't cover the Pacific. Uh, and we need to come up with a deal that cover, governs nuclear weapons with China and things like that. Now, in, in my <coughs> academic background, what I was taught was that Arms control treaties are never about reducing arms. 
they're usually about establishing the amount of arms you can build up to. Okay, that's always, you know, they're, they're described as arms control. Yeah, and that, that should be frightening right there. Okay, yeah. and there are people always, oh, yeah, we need arms control. And they don't realize that, that what countries are really arguing is what are their upper limits, not, not what, what they get rid of. Um, so, and going back to scratch, first of all, for a guy who markets himself as a great deal maker, I got to say, Trump <laughs> has been remarkably lame. <laughs> I mean, he hasn't made any great deals in two years of office. He might claim uh, the new North American trade thing, but first of all, most of the, the new the new agreement was negotiated before he came to office, and second of all, it just basically is a tweak NAFTA that he takes credit for. So he hasn't made he he's dismantled he's pulled out of deals, but I I, I can't. But he's, think- he's going to hold up Korea as well, of course. What was Korea was the United States uh, limiting its involvement in Korea. <laughs> Korea was a, a right a, such a deal. What <laughs> was a solid victory for North Korea and China? Okay, that's what that's what his Korea initiative was, um, which is why they they'd love to keep on talking to Trump. Okay, um, and, and that would be the thing. Uh, denuclearization to Trump is that North Korea gets rid of nuclear weapons. Denuclearization to North Korea is the United States uh, gets off of the Korean Peninsula. Uh, denuclearization to China is that the United States withdraws from Asia as a whole. You know? <laughs> so there are different definitions. But anyway, so uh, I guess the Trump administration is, is, is saying that we want to start from scratch. And I'm like, you people even know what you're talking about. Do you even know what you're doing? Because Trump has no experience. I mean, he has experience making shady real estate deals where he doesn't pay off his contractors. That, that's his experience. All right. Um, everything that Trump has ever touched has gone to waste. Or gold for him. Yeah, well, go, both. <laughs> it's gone to waste and gold for him. He yeah. manages to be the guy walking away. So when you tell me that Trump's involved in a nuclear arms, wants to do nuclear arms negotiation, you're talking about, about a guy who doesn't even read his daily intelligence briefs. Yeah. So to me, uh, the hubris, uh, the arrogance, uh, and the just like Nietzschean mindset that he can like bring a certain personality to bear and work out a deal is just amazing, especially because what he's doing, I think the Russians he has gained. <coughs> okay, now the United States has backed out of this deal. Now we can just go, if, if we were just like doing a little shifty stuff before, now we can go whole hog back into arms race. And that, Putin would want to do that. Putin clearly wants to reestablish a Russian uh, domination over Eastern Europe. So, um, I'm very concerned uh, that what Trump is basically doing, uh, he's he's uh, leading, he's he's making the road to the next cataclysmic war, uh, and unlike 1914, now we got nukes to play with, and and that's the other thing, nukes used to be governed by the doctrine of mutual assured destruction. It was in no one's benefit to use nuclear weapons. That was the restraining factor. Okay, it's still the case. Well. I don't think Trump believes that. I think Trump believes that nuclear weapons can be used effectively. Uh, he seems to be in some statements. That's, he have, that's, that's the position of a madman in that uh, case. Uh, he has made statements that's, uh, where he apparently he has asked his military advisors, why can't we use nuclear weapons? He doesn't understand that when you use that kind of weaponry that, <laughs> you know, it, it, it doesn't work out well for anyone involved. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, at some point I hope that more sane policy leaders will begin to, you know, begin to 
do the work that was started years ago that should have continued more aggressively. I mean, I mean, the fact is, nuclear weapons, the technology for making a nuclear weapon exists. And you can't throw that genie back in the box. So we have to accept that, that reality that some total nutcase uh, could find a way to put together a weapon that could be used. And, my, and, my concern and, but right you, now— But you don't deter that. You don't deter that with an arsenal of 1,500 or—, or, or. My, my concern right now is the nutcases are coming to power. Uh, I was thinking this weekend when uh, in Brazil the far-right uh, candidate won the Brazilian election. I mean, the Nazis are winning everywhere. Well, no, not, I mean, we have, we have a president in Mexico now who is, uh, who is very progressive. And, and, has, and has been p- playing with Trump. Well, we'll see what Obrador – I've actually met Obrador, and, uh, and he's a, he, I like him. Uh, I, I think he's, he has the potential to do some very good things for Mexico and for the North American continent. Uh, but we also have uh, – there was an election this past week in Germany, in uh, one of the uh, German states, uh, beginning with an H, for you how to say it. Yes, thank you. That, uh, that, that went favorably toward um, more progressive candidates. And we may see that wave happen here in America uh, this coming election. I was, I, mean, I was actually concerned because Angela Merkel uh, has announced that she's done in 21. Uh, and Angela Merkel has been kind of a bastion of liberal democratic sensibility in the West. Uh, she has, though, though she's a member of the German Conservative Party. The, yeah, the Christian yeah. Democrats. Right. But, but she's the one. But she's the one who's actually been practicing liberal democracy. She understands what's like. Well, no, it's not. Well, you can be. Well, they, it's they, ironic they, that they, they, that a European definition of conservative is probably a little bit more to the left of our definition of Democrat. Well, the Christian Democrats, <laughs> who, the Christian Democrats who are, are the major conservative party in, in Germany and other European countries, uh, they're to the left of our Democratic Party. Mm. Okay? I mean, they wouldn't dream of scrapping, for example, German health care or Social Security or things like that. Right. Uh, and, and, but my point being is that when Angela goes, um, uh, it'll be interesting <laughs> to see who follows. She understands what it's like to grow up and live on a totalitarian state. She she was a, a pastor's kid in East Germany. Mm. Uh, and uh, I think also she's extremely intimidating to Donald Trump, who's not a big fan of strong women. No. <laughs> so, but, uh, bec- and she does have that. And I, I grew up in a, fa- I'm in a family of Germans, so I know all about this. She, just, she does have that German didactic style that I don't think that Donald Trump enjoyed in, in yeah. private conversation. Yeah. So, Well, again, and we'll see. Uh, you know, maybe there's a role for uh, some of the more um, balanced, shall we say, leaders globally to begin to weigh in on the question of, um, of reining in the, the incredible uh, power of the nuclear arsenal. Well, I, I think, I, to me, the issue is that I see the Nazis winning everywhere, the fascists winning everywhere, and it doesn't help that the Nazi preferred candidate won the American presidency. Uh, yeah, it doesn't help, but I don't. I, I think that's a little bit more gloom and doom than the political landscape warrants. Uh, I, I think there's, and I think we're going to. I think we're. Gonna, I think we're seeing a, a real solid direction uh, away from that in in this country as well. Um, we'll see. November sixth means everything. Yeah, it does. Hey, Ron, thanks for joining us, folks. Our my co-host today has been Ron Yarnell. And we've uh, covered a wide range of issues here. Uh, if you're listening on our community-owned station, stick around. We've got another little bit of conversation happening for you. And uh, if you're listening live, again, thanks to folks here at La Reina, 1260 AM, 96.5 FM. Thanks to station manager Juan Rodriguez, to my production assistant, uh, Sherry Hardina. And again, to Ron Yarnell for joining us in the studio. You can always catch the Fallon Forum as a podcast 
on www.fallonforum.com. And again, we sometimes live stream this program on Facebook. Didn't do it today. But uh, often we do. So, again, thanks for tuning into the show. If, again, if you're on our community-owned station, stick around. We'll be back in a couple minutes. Again, this is Ed Fallon signing off for today on the Fallon Forum. Welcome back, folks. This is Ed Fallon here with you on the Fallon Forum. Okay, so when you hear the, the words food maker... What do, you, what do you think of? I mean, I think of uh, my tomato plant. You know, I, think of, uh, I think of my chickens. Oh, chickens, great food makers, both eggs and meat. I think of, um, you know, I, I think of other animals, other vegetables. Uh, I think of living things when I think of food makers. Well, apparently that's not what everybody means by food makers. Um, food makers includes, according to the USDA, Lots of big companies that take raw products and make them into something else, prepackaged, um, ready-to-eat meals. And apparently, um, well, you know, I think we've known for a long time that's, that's not ideal, that uh, the best source of food is what you get directly from your garden, a nearby farm, uh, you know, a local store that is, as, you know, as, as much as possible, is direct marketing that from a source that is trusted, ideally organic. Well, apparently, um, millions of pounds <laughs> of, uh, of food produced by food makers uh, have been contaminated with salmonella. And this is affecting retailers such as uh, Harris Teeter, Kroger's, Whole Foods, 7-Eleven, Trader Joe's, and, of course, Walmart. Uh, the, uh, these uh, food items, as they're now called, pre-made food items. I love it that they're called food items and not just food. That says volumes. People should be paying attention to that distinction. These pre-made food items, and I should say ready-to-eat salads, uh, they've been recalled due to the potential risk of salmonella and listeria. And we're talking about, uh, I mean, literally, in the case of... Um, Gogo taquitos, 2.5 million pounds of ready-to-eat meat and poultry taquitos. We're talking about 292,000 pounds of ready-to-eat chicken and beef products. Uh, we're talking about uh, 174,000 pounds of Jenny Craig chicken wrap with barbecue sauce. And um, fresh garden salads. Cato Foods of Indianapolis has recalled about 1,532 pounds of ready-to-eat chicken salads, a much smaller number, but still. So where is all this stuff coming from? Well, you know, I mean, ultimately, it, uh, it came from farms, right? And it's, again, it's a combination of meat uh, and uh, other ingredients. So, um, yeah, it appears that, um, yeah, the list of ingredients are, again, various meats, but also corn, diced onions, and other vegetables. The information available doesn't specify what other vegetables might have been contaminated or how. I'm trying to get to the bottom of how this contamination occurred, but apparently they were all uh, products that were supplied by McCain Foods, um, as, as best as I can tell. And I, love, I also love the fact that they refer to uh, one of the products not as an onion, 
But as an onion ingredient, I don't know what an onion ingredient is. Uh, maybe they extract some element of the onion in a, in a test tube in a laboratory and they use that. <laughs> I don't know. But uh, there's, no way to, there's no way to reach any kind of conclusion in my mind other than saying, well, it's best to eat whole foods. And I'm not talking about the chain whole foods. I'm talking about actual foods that are whole. It's best to take that turnip or squash or bag of lettuce or dozen of eggs from, again, your own operation if you got it, or from a farmer that you know and trust. It's best to use that directly and to make your own stuff. I mean, okay, I love to go out to restaurants as much as anybody. And I, I go to restaurants that are locally owned as much as possible. I go to restaurants where they get food from local farms, local producers. And um, I feel a lot more safe, a lot safer, a lot more secure in that experience than I do going to these big operations that, uh, I mean, the whole system is so, and, and remember, the, the conventional farmer at the front end of this, of this, quote, onion ingredient or food, you know, food product, food item, <laughs> the, the, the farmer at the front end of that, and the last statistic I remember seeing was they get about 14 cents of the, the dollar that is, is profited from, the profit dollar from, from that food item <laughs> or that onion ingredient. And so um, they're, they're not, you know, a farmer who is producing for direct marketing, whether it's through a farmer's market, a community-supported agriculture, direct sale to a grocery store or a restaurant or to you, that farmer's making a lot more than 14 cents. And they should. 14 cents on every dollar of something that you produce or that you work with nature <laughs> to produce uh, is, is, is wrong. It's just, just flat out wrong. And so it's these companies in the middle, these big corporations that are making all the profit when, you know, when, when, you, when you focus on buying pre-made salads, ready-to-eat salads, pre-made you know, tacos and, 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 and whatnot, you know, those, you know, again, the farmer does better and you reduce your risk of being exposed to salmonella or listeria if you can avoid uh, that type of production. And again, I think it's, you know, again, reading the stories about this, it's, it's fascinating to me that, that this isn't, um, that they don't dig into this more. Again, maybe we, maybe we shouldn't expect the corporate media to dig into this stuff anymore since a lot of their advertising clients probably include the very companies that uh, are being, you know, targeted with, uh, with being, re you know, responsible for this, um, for this uh, problem. Uh, and and nowhere, nowhere in the whole conversation does it say how it happened. Now, we do know, for example, when there was a, a massive egg recall because of salmonella, uh, largely from huge confinement operations in Iowa run by the DeCoster family. Uh, you know, we know that we, we got to the bottom of that. And we know that those cases of salmonella poisoning happened, you know, because of corporate negligence. I mean, it, there was so much corporate negligence that there was a trial and there was a verdict. And there was the possibility that the two top dogs at the DeCoster 
in the Tricoster Egg Empire could have done some jail time. Now, um, my memory's a bit hazy on this. They might have, or they might have been able to defer their sentence. But um, they were found guilty. They were found guilty of negligence that led to the salmonella poisoning of a handful of people. Well, it was a, chunk, a, a fairly large number of people because of what they, how they managed their, their, their confinement operations. So that, that's my question. That's the, that's the really important question underlying, underlying all this is what, you know, what caused this to happen? Why are all these, you know, and again, look at the, it, it's this chain of, um, <laughs> uh, you know, these, these aren't just chain stores. There's a chain of chain stores and producers and food makers. I love that, food makers. I'm never going to get over that. And, uh, and, and, you know, they, uh, you know, they're making all the money. It's not the farmer making the money. And they're producing a product that puts us at risk. You know, not most of the time, but often enough to be of concern. And more importantly, the, the food product or food item, whatever you want to call it, that they produce is not as healthy as what you're going to get directly from a farmer, directly from your own work. Or, again, you know, I, I'm all for cooking a great meal. But use, use real ingredients. And, you know... And, and don't, don't, use a, don't use a food item that's gone through such a long string of um, modifications and whatnot that you don't even recognize it anymore. Then you have to call it an onion ingredient instead of an onion. <laughs> I mean, how, how ridiculous is that? And again, I'm, I'm guessing the corporate media gets a lot of ad, ad you know, pay, gets a lot of ad revenue from a lot of these companies, which is why you're seeing only kind of a token recognition uh, of the depth of this problem. But that's my guess. All I know is uh, as often as possible, and from my case, most of the time, I'm going to be eating my food uh, either from my own little urban farm or from farmers that I trust, from local stores and restaurants that I trust. And uh, I'm going to try, to try to opt out to the greatest extent possible of the uh, food maker industry, as, again, it's being referred to. All right, thanks, folks, for listening to the Fallon Forum. Again, live every Monday at 11 o'clock Central Time on Lorena, 1260 AM and 96.5 FM, Des Moines.